turning your Bibles to Revelation 1. Revelation 1. Once you're there, say, I'm there. (laughs) Revelation 1, beginning at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And I want you to skip all the way down to verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And now let's pray that God would give us wisdom and instruction that we would not only read, but we would also heed this great revelation. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help. There are things in this book that are too marvelous for us to comprehend. Too great for words, too great even for John's own words. We need your help. So give us wisdom. Give me clarity. Help us, Lord, to see Jesus. Help us to see what John saw. And may we be stunned as John was stunned. Not just so that we would leave out of here wowed by Jesus, but that we would leave out of here changed by Jesus. For we need him. We need you, Father. We need your spirit. So Father, I pray that you would give us clarity Give us understanding that we would be changed from one degree of glory to the next. That Christ may be glorified in us and through us to our neighbors and to the nations. We thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Now, I remember 20 years ago, Yeah, I I thought the same thing. (laughs) I remember where I was 20 years ago, um, and this is, yeah, just as as I wowed you with that, that, I was graduating from high school, (laughs) and um, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and I remember it was my, my uh, they had a graduation party for the high school graduates at my church. And I was there, uh, appropriately, uh, for, the, uh, for the graduation party. And I remember when my pastor came in, he was a big sci-fi fan, he ran to me, looked me in the face and said, Ronjour, I'm not telling you to leave right now. But I'm just telling you that I saw the most incredible movie that I've ever seen. I mean, it was graphics like nothing I've ever seen before. It was the most amazing thing in the history of movies. He said, it's called The Matrix. And, and you, you have to see it. He's like, it, it was the most innovative thing I've ever seen, blah, 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 blah. And so, of course, we did go to see it, and we were amazed by it. Uh, but you remember what the, what the premise was. The premise was that reality as you know it isn't, right? This is not the way things actually are. This is just an appearance made by machines and computer programs and so on. It gets weird after that. I'll just stop right there. But, but, but the idea was if you just take this pill, then your eyes will be open and you will see reality as it actually is. You will see how things really are. Folks, we live in the matrix. Uh, to be sure, this is all real, so, so I don't want to freak you out or anything. This isn't a computer program. If somebody smacks you across the face, it will hurt, you know, because they actually did smack you across the face. Uh, but but you, what you see of reality is only a part of reality. What you see and what you perceive is only a piece of the puzzle. There's more to reality than even you could imagine. John, if I could use the analogy from the Matrix, took the red pill. And when he did, his eyes were opened to see reality. At least as much of reality as he could humanly handle. He saw ultimate reality. And ultimate reality is a person. <laughs> Ultimate reality is a man who is also God, 100% God, in fact, and 100% man. And all of the universe and all of history centers on him. So much so that if you've got plans for your future and you don't include him, good luck with those plans. Because the plans for your future must include Jesus. Why? Because the plans for the future includes Jesus. And he is the centerpiece of it all. Take him out of the equation is like taking the sun out of the sky. How's that going to work? Can you imagine a sunless sky? Can you imagine a moonless night? Well, you can because of the cycle of the moon, but, but, but can't... <laughs> Scratch that analogy. Can you, <laughs> can, can you imagine the, the centerpiece of existence out of, the, out of the equation, out of the question? 
That's what it's like to imagine history without Jesus. Now, this is an interesting thing because uh, John is writing, as he says later on in chapter one, John's writing in exile. He's living on the island of Patmos, right off the coast of Turkey, kind of in between Turkey and Greece, right in the middle. There's this little tiny island called Patmos. It's still there to this day. Uh, And he was essentially an Alcatraz. He was there in prison. Uh, He was sent there because he was a nuisance. Uh, His words, he was there because of the the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The world at that day, just like the world in this day, considers that a nuisance. So they banished him to the Isle of Patmos where he would live the rest of his days uh, uh, in obscurity, in uh, uh, solitary confinement. He would be out there basically to die in his old age. He was the only apostle to die of old age. Every other apostle was executed. What do you think John's thinking out there? What do you think the churches are thinking out there? All of our leaders are dead, except for one, and he's got a life sentence. We're being murdered, slaughtered on a regular basis. Our greatest teachers, dead. The future of the church looks like it's in, it's in disarray. It, looks, it doesn't look good, it looks bleak. And then the Lord gave John the red pill. And he told him, write this to the seven churches. Make sure they get this message. Make sure that they see what you see. Before we even get into chapter one, I just want you to stop and think how awesome our God is. When the future looks bleak, God doesn't leave it bleak. Isn't that amazing? God gives us a vision to see where things are and see where things are headed so that as bleak as our reality is now, if we could just get a glimpse of ultimate total reality, then we will have the strength and the courage and the boldness to take another step and another step and another step, even if that leads us to the slaughter. What a great God. So what is it that he saw? As I said before, he got a sneak peek of Jesus, the returning king. And he wrote it down right here as we're going to read for these next few months. We're going to be going through this. And as we read this, we are going to hopefully, by God's grace and by the power of his spirit, we are going to see what John saw so that we too would overcome and be faithful all the way to the end. Amen? Amen. Well, before he even tells us what he saw, he first tells us, uh, if you will, the effects of what he saw. Uh, This vision, this this revelation affects uh, multiple people in, in the entire universe and in the cosmos. So first he wants to give us the effects of what he saw, and then he's going to show us what he saw. 
Okay, so we'll just look at that first. There, there are four different uh, groups in here, kind of in these first eight verses that he talks, uh, uh, that he points out for us to see and for us to recognize, because each of us has a different uh, uh, effect, if you will, when we uh, understand this vision or this this uh, revelation. Let, let me let me just start there first in verse one. He says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Before he says anything, he says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me just hold on for a moment because some of you may think that that's false advertising because you think that revelation is the revelation of the end times. And sure, you've got that here in Revelation. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. You are going to get uh, various glimpses of John's future and some of John's future is our future too. And so you're going you're gonna to get some of that in here, okay? Uh, uh, some of you may think that this is the revelation of the Antichrist. And you're just waiting. Can we get there? Can we get there? Come on, let's, let's go. Can we get to chapter 13? I want to know who, 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 who's the Antichrist. You know, is it the Pope? You know, is it, is it, is it Oprah? Who is it? You know, who is the Antichrist? You know, and, and you're waiting for that, for that moment where you're going to get the identification there. Some of you think that it is the revelation of 666, and that's in chapter 13 as well. And you go, okay, what is it? What's the mark of the beast? Is it a barcode? Is it, is it, is it, is it Android devices? Sorry, I'm an Apple guy. I'm sorry. I got to do that. Is it, is it, is it, you know, what, what is it? What, what, you know, what does that mean? 666, what's it mean? Uh, some of you, it's a re- revelation of the millennium. Notice all of these things are little pieces of revelation. If we make that the totality of revelation, we're going to miss the point. Revelation is about Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Apocalypsis is the term for revelation. It's where we get our word apocalypse. Uh, uh, apocalypse. So we think apocalypse, we think zombies and, and, and you know, uh, sci-fi and, and Mad Max and all of these different things. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, he's saying this is in, uh, the word means an unveiling, all right? Something that God's been holding back on for just a little bit that now he's going, all right, I got to pull the curtain uh, from this so that you can see what you weren't able to see before. You get to see an aspect of Jesus that, that is never before seen until God gave this to John. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, God gave Jesus this revelation in order to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So, notice the train. Uh, God the Father gave this revelation to Jesus, who gave it to his servants, specifically one servant, John, through an angel. Okay? And now we get to the first audience here. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. The time for what? He doesn't tell us yet. Hold on, that's coming. But first recognize this, this sneak peek here, this little glimpse of the returning king, it blesses those who read and heed. It blesses those who read and heed. Right now, uh, uh, the Lord says that I am blessed. And all of us in here are blessed because we read it. All right? Points for step one. (laughs) 
Read the book. You read it and God will bless you. Daniel read a, a bit of it before. God bless Daniel. See, all of us who are, who are willing to, to read this, this is wonderful. But not only reading it, you've got to hear it and you've got to keep it. You've got to heed what is said. In other words, we don't read Revelation for entertainment value. We don't read Revelation for shock value. And it's shocking. All right, you get about every genre possible in this book. All right, you've got horror when you talk about dragons with multiple heads and, 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 and all these wacky things going on in here. You've got, uh, uh, you've got some romantic chick flick stuff at the end when you have the king and the bride coming together and you have this big, you know, amazing wedding, you know, at the end. This is wonderful. You've got some epic going on in here as you've got the king who slaughters the dragon and, and kills the beast and, and all of this. You've got, you've got uh, uh, justice going on in here with the thrones at the end. I mean, you get everything here. This is amazing, but it's not for just entertainment and shock value. This is for life. As you read what's going on here in the book of Revelation, you should be changed and transformed by this book. Why? Because the time is near. Time for what? We'll see in just a bit. Next audience here, not just those who read and heed, but notice the next one here, he, he greets the churches here with grace and peace, all right? This, this sneak peek here of Christ, uh, it greets the church with grace and peace. John writes in verse 4 to the seven churches that are in Asia, he says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings on earth. Notice, if you, if you didn't catch that, grace and peace are given to the churches through this book. As you read this, you should receive from this the grace of God. And you should also receive the peace of God. How good is that when things are in shambles? How good is that when it seems like there's this, this um, uh, invasion, if you will, of, of, of anti-Christian uh, sentiment that's, that's putting pressure on us, not just here in America, but worldwide. And we go, wait a second, am I not allowed to be Christian in public anymore? You know, and all of that. Read this and receive the grace of God. The grace of God, I believe, to endure. And receive the peace of God. What kind of peace? This peace that surpasses all understanding. This peace that says, I can take another step, even though it makes no sense that I'm taking this step. I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to keep bearing witness to Christ, even if it takes my life. Why? Because I have peace in knowing that God is in control of everything. Peace, grace and peace from, and notice what he says, it's from the one who is and who was and who is to come. I, I believe that that's kind of John's uh, uh, first century way of saying Yahweh, the I am. And he says, oh, 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 let me tell you who I am is. I am is the one who was and who is and who is to come. He is the eternal one. He is the, the, uh, uh, the self-existing one. Every single one of us has a birth date. 
hopefully, all right? You were all born. That's one thing we all have in common. This being, the one that he's talking about here, has no birthday because he was never born. He's always been. He's eternal. He's the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. We all have a death day, an expiration day. He doesn't. And what's amazing is who he was then is who he is now and who he will be tomorrow. This one has given you grace and peace. Not only him, but also the seven spirits who are before his throne. What does that mean? Read all the commentaries and the answer is unanimous. Uh huh. <laughs> we know he's talking about the spirit. Uh, that, that's one thing we can agree on is that this is the Holy Spirit that, we're, that he's talking about. But why does he split them into seven? It may be a reference to Zechariah in Zechariah 4 where uh, he talks about uh, the spirit who, uh, who was there over the lampstand. John makes mention to a lampstand or to a few lampstands later on in the chapter and throughout the book. So maybe he's referring to that. Maybe he's referring to a sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit as Isaiah 11 speaks about. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, you read Isaiah 11 and you'll see in there there's seven different aspects to the Holy Spirit's ministry and the Messiah was anointed with that Holy Spirit to fulfill those seven, that sevenfold ministry. He may be talking about that. He may be referencing the seven churches. And he's saying this in such a way as to say the one who is watching over the seven churches is completely there. So you don't get one-seventh of the Holy Spirit. You get all of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of your seven churches. All of those things sound great to me. So I just nod my head and say, yes. Yeah, so the one who was and is and is to come, once we start differentiating, we could say that's probably the Father. The seven spirits here will say that's the Holy Spirit. And then he lands in verse five on Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the kings on earth. This grace and peace comes to you from the Trinity. You get all of God in on this. All the persons of the Trinity are united in saying, we want you, North Wake, to have grace and peace, even when things look bleak. Hmm. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the faithful witness. He's the one who is faithful to testify to us of God, so much so that Paul would say he is the image of the invisible God. There's no one like him. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the perfect representation of his Father because he is, as the uh, uh, creed says, very God of very God. So he is faithful in his witness. He was faithful all the way to death. Uh, Philippians 2 will tell us. But then he says here, he is the firstborn of the dead. Not meaning that he's the first one to rise from the dead, because there are others who rose from the dead before Jesus, especially in the Old Testament. Jesus himself resurrected Lazarus and the, the, uh, the son of the widow from Nain and Jairus' daughter and others. So you have these things in the scriptures. He is the one who inaugurates, if you will, this new age where all who trust in him will be resurrected from the dead 
never to die again. That's what he means when he says he's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one of the new age. He's the first one in this new era where now the kingdom is, is, is here and the kingdom is arriving in all of its fullness. He is the firstborn of the dead and he's the rulers of the kings of the earth. So if you think about it this way, he's the one who was faithful all the way to death. He's the one who is the firstborn from the dead in his resurrection and in his ascension to the right hand of God. He is the ruler over all of the kings of the earth. Folks, this God has given us grace and peace. Why? So that you can make it through every single day. I'm probably going to tick some of you off in just a minute, so bear with me here. Um, why on earth do we allow talk radio and 24-hour news cycles to distract and distort this so easily in our hearts and in our minds? I mean, whether you're talking about Fox or you're talking about MSNBC or you're talking about CNN or anything, they all have the same message. The same message is America's going to hell in a handbasket and it's all their fault. And we look at that, and, and I know some of us, we struggle. Some of us, you, you know, uh, you may have a rule in your house. No. <laughs> Don't turn this on. Why? I, if I could give you a little suggestion here, because it's not good for you. If you're uncertain about the, about the future, get grace and peace from God himself. Stop listening to the doomsday guys over here freaking out about every little thing that's going wrong with the country and every little thing that's going wrong with the world. Do you think God is sitting back going, oh, they're right. Boy, I'm, I'm glad they have a TV show <laughs> because, because, whoa. I wouldn't have known that if, unless they said that. Breaking news, it was breaking news to me too. Is, is that true? Or is there a sovereign God who is ruling over the kings of the earth? Is there a Jesus who is risen and exalted to the highest place and his rule is active right now as we speak? Even now. You say, but that doesn't make sense. Look at all the evil in the world. Yeah, you're looking at it now. Take the red pill. <laughs> and look at where it's heading. Okay? Don't, don't, don't look at where things are right now and worry. Look at where things are headed and hope. Because this is going somewhere. He's come to give grace and peace to his churches. Notice also the, the, the next group. Notice First, he talks about the ones who read and heed it. He talks about the churches and he gives them grace and peace. Now he turns to Jesus and he says, I, I just got to say something to you, Lord. Before we even get to the, he still hasn't gotten to the vision and neither have I. Um, but, but, he, but here he, he says, I, I just, I saw you and, and I just, I, before I even say what the vision is, I just, I got it. Can I say something to you, Lord? And so he does in verse five, right at the end, he says, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
That's the picture that you've got to cling to every day. He loves you. He has freed you from your sins by his blood. What king would lay down his life for his people? And he made you a kingdom. We are a kingdom. That's past tense. He made us a kingdom. Right now, we are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Everything else is going this way. We're going this way. Because of the work of Christ, he made us priests to his God and Father. We're able to gather together as we are right now, worshiping him. We are able to sing praises to his name. We don't need veils over our face. We don't have a curtain in here to keep us from God. We're able to meet with him face to face, worshiping in his presence. This is amazing. Jesus did that. So John says to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This vision, this this sneak peak of the returning king. It blesses us, it greets us, and it glorifies him. It glorifies the one who has loved us. It glorifies the one who has redeemed us. He says he's coming one day, verse 7, he's coming with the clouds. And in fact, it seems so close to John that he could say, look, behold, there he is. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. No, even those who pierced him. Oh, this is good news for us that our Savior is coming, the one who's given us grace and peace, the one who loves us, the one who's redeemed us, made us a kingdom and priest to God. This is great news for us. This is terrifying news for anybody who has tried to rid the world of him. He's coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Jesus is coming. And when he comes, it will not be a welcome party. He's coming on a mission, and that mission is to gather his own and to take everyone else out. Are you ready for the return of Christ? (laughs) This vision is giving you a little sneak peek of the one who is to come. And either he is coming for you in salvation or he's coming for you in judgment. Revelation is crystal clear about this. If your future does not include Jesus... How can you live another day? You must come to him. For your sake, come to Jesus. So the Lord jumps in in verse 8 and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who was and who is to come, the Almighty And now after all of this, now John says, okay, 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 okay. all right, I'm done. Now let me show you what I saw. So look what he says, verse nine. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So he's amazing. He's in prison. He's in his jail cell. And and here he is doing what we're doing on this day. We're here Sunday, gathered, worshiping the Lord. He said, hey, you know, jail isn't going to keep me from worshiping God. And so he worshiped the Lord in the Lord's day too. And when he did in verse 10, he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, he's in solitary confinement, and so that's kind of weird when he starts hearing a second voice. And so he, he's looking around going, what, who, who said that? And he turns and he says, when I turned, uh, he said, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like a son of man, a reference to Daniel 7. Daniel saw the same thing, uh, essentially, that, that John saw here. One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When John saw him in verse 17, his response would probably be your response when you saw something like that in person. I fell at his feet as though dead. <laughs> Passed out unconscious. Just what? This is amazing. One, because John's has, John has seen Jesus before. He spent three and a half years with him. John has saw Jesus in his earthly ministry. John saw Jesus on the cross. He was there. Jesus spoke to him from the cross. Behold your mother, uh, he said to John, looking at Mary. Behold your son, said to Mary, looking at John. In essence saying, John, I want you to take care of my mom because I'm going to have to go for a while. John was there. John saw the crucified Jesus. John saw the risen Jesus. Remember, John was the one who outran Peter, and then he wrote in his, uh, in his gospel account to make sure everybody knew that he beat him there. You know, so <laughs> he said, I, 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 the, you know, the one who loved Jesus got there first, just to let y'all know. Um, <laughs> he saw the risen Jesus. He saw the ascended Jesus. He was there in Acts 1 when Jesus ascended into heaven. John knows what Jesus looks like. And when John saw Jesus here, he passed out onto the ground. He saw Jesus, but he had never seen this Jesus before. What he saw took his breath away. All of the symbols that are going on in here, I think, are meant to convey that Jesus is glorious like nothing we could ever comprehend. He's got royal garb on. He's wearing a golden sash around his chest, and he's got his long robe and things like that. But what's interesting is everything else that's talked about here is about his person. That's the only mention about his clothes. Kings have to show that they're kings by things outside of themselves, like what they wear. They've got to look presidential, right? You've heard that before. They've got to look presidential. They've got to have the entourage that comes out, the secret service, the, the limousines and the SUVs and the motorcycles and, and, the, and the flashing lights and all of that to say, this is someone important. 
And when they walk in, you've got the hail to the chief. You know, and everything is meant to say, this guy's really important. Jesus shows up. And what John saw of him himself said, this guy's more important than anything I've ever seen before. I can't take it anymore. Boom, onto the floor. He saw his feet shining like it had been polished. He saw his face shining like the sun. He saw stars in his hand. He heard his voice and it sounded like a waterfall. He, 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 his, uh, his mouth had a sharp two-edged sword coming out of it. I mean, he is seeing Jesus like no one has ever seen him before. And what Jesus says to him is some of the most precious words that you could see in the Bible. He laid his right hand on me after I passed out. And he said, verse 17, fear not. You're joking, right? <laughs> fear not. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why shouldn't I be afraid? Because I am the first and the last. By the way, do you remember before the one who was and is and is to come? You know, we said that was a reference to the Father. And now Jesus says, I am the first and the last, which I think is his way of saying, yeah, me too. I am the eternal one. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. John, you're in here to die. That's your reality. Folks, if anyone will come after the Lord Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow him. What does that mean? It means like Paul said, we must die daily. And at any given moment in history, we are wildly outnumbered. And it doesn't always look good. It looks bleak many, many times. It, we don't see people coming to Christ in droves. In fact, we see people working legislation to, to hamper our witness. And we see people who are, who are putting pressure on us and intimidating us and doing what they can to say, stop it. Stop speaking about this name. Stop putting all your eggs in this basket. Stop trying to call everybody to put their faith in Christ. I heard a message from a, a missionary in India. Uh, he sends us our family uh, prayer updates. And one of the updates that he said was he said, pray for us over here in India because uh, it seems like we're getting closer and closer to a non-proselytizing country. In other words, India be, uh, becoming more and more strict in their, in their laws prohibiting Christians from trying to make other Christians in the country. This is odd for a Hinduistic country where everybody worships everything, quite literally. But don't tell somebody that they need to come to faith in Jesus. In India? It's getting harder and harder. And here Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. They tried to kill me and they actually did but I got back up <laughs> and, and I'm alive forevermore. And while I was out for a bit, I decided I'd take the keys of death in Hades too. I've got it all. It's mine. Don't be afraid. 
He says, write therefore the things that you have seen, the things that are and those that are to take place after this. And then in kind of a weird way, he ends with this mystery. He's like, oh, by the way, remember those seven stars that you saw in my hand and the seven golden uh, lampstands? That was actually a message to you. I'll I'll let you in on what the secret of the message was. The secret was this. The seven lampstands are the angels of the seven churches and the seven, I'm sorry, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You say, wow, that's great. I I don't get it. Um, why, why, Why did you do that? Well, remember where John saw Jesus. So let's go back. Look at verse 13. He said, I turned, uh, or verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. In the midst of the lampstands. Verse 20, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Verse 13, in the midst of the lampstand was one like a son of man. What's the point? The point is this. Jesus, the living one who has the the keys to death in Hades, the one that death could not hold down, the one who lives forevermore is in our midst. He is here among us. Why is that good news? Because if you look at things as they look right now, it looks bleak. Our witness is in shambles. Our, 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 our um, uh, reputation in many ways is in, uh, is in shambles all around the world. People want to rid the world of Christianity. They don't want our message. They, they want the nice parts of our message, but they don't want the whole thing. And the pressure mounts and mounts and mounts. And we wonder, how am I going to stay Christian in this world? And John John gives us a vision of the glorious Christ living and breathing, and he is in our midst. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, church, because you see things as they really are. Everyone else can freak out, but you who know Jesus, stand firm. And that's what Revelation wants you to do. Stand firm. He'll say in chapters 2 and 3, as pastor will be preaching, uh, in chapters 2 and 3, overcome to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, overcome, overcome, overcome. Why? Because Jesus is right here with you. And if he, the risen one, could overcome even death, surely with him with us, we can overcome too. So don't be afraid. Keep going. Take the blue pill or take the red pill. (laughs) See things as they really are. And let's walk together side by side with courage and with grace. Because our Lord is in control. And if no one can stop him, then surely with us at his side, no one can stop us. Amen? Let's pray. So Father, would you please give us grace to see Jesus. Lord, I know that there are so many of us here where this is great right now, Sunday morning, but Monday comes comes at us fast. And it's hard to see Jesus on Monday. It's easy to see him here when we're all gathered together, singing his praises, focused on his word. It's hard to see him on Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Lord, I pray that this image that was um, singed into John's memory, he had so much detail of what he saw. He could never unsee Jesus again. 
Father, I pray that we would never unsee Jesus again. Help us, Lord, to remember that the one that we serve is no longer in the cradle. He's no longer in the grave. He lives, and he lives forevermore. And so may we go with great boldness and courage to share the love of Jesus with our neighbors. And may we overcome every temptation. May we overcome every ridicule because we know our Savior lives. We thank you. As we respond to your word, Lord, may it grow roots in us and bear much fruit. That Christ may be exalted among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.